over the next couple of years, I got really good at these techniques and tools. And I started talking about them and I was giving TEDx talks in my early 20s. And the reality was that while I was achieving on the surface and giving these talks and teaching people about communication is that my internal experience was still on fire. There was mm. so much dissonance because all those stories about how people perceive me, about not being good enough, about not being smart enough, not being able to be my my authentic self with people was still there. And so I basically had developed an arsenal of tools and techniques to effectively package myself to achieve my desired outcome. But what I fundamentally did not have was a sense of self-trust and safety to simply be who I was. Welcome to the Stay Grounded Podcast, I'm your host, Raj Jana, founder of Liberate, and it's my mission to help you become the most grounded, loving, and authentic version of yourself that you can be. Each week, I interview experts in the fields of mindset, spirituality, and emotional well-being. My brilliant guests share their tools, stories, and unique perspectives to help you develop the skills you need to show up fully for the people and things that matter most in your life. Now let's dive in. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of Stay Grounded with my dear friend, Mr. Andrew Horn. So Andrew is the founder of Tribute.co, which the New Yorker recently called Hallmark 2.0. Tribute makes it easy to create group video montages and send one-to-one video greetings and gifts to the people you love. Since starting, Tribute has sent over 5 million video montages to people. It's amazing. I've sent tributes to people in my life, and I love him as a human being. Andrew's also the founder of a nonprofit organization called Junto, which is uh, something we talk about on this episode, uh, where he hosts men's work retreats, which are these sort of wilderness retreats where you go out there and start working on your inner landscape. I'm hard pressed to find somebody who has done more of the work than Andrew. I mean, he truly does embody a connected way of living, a connected way of being. He's on a deep mission to spread gratitude and meaningful connection um, towards everybody he meets. And In this episode, specifically, you're going to be hearing how to come out of your shell as a person. Andrew started out as a public speaker, amassed incredible success, but was very emotionally bankrupt and had a lot of inner turmoil and a lot of a lack of internal sort of the the compass, if you would. Like he didn't really feel like he was in integrity with who he was, how he was and authentically showing up in his relationships. And that started a deep personal journey into learning how he can actually become more emotionally wealthy. And so in this specific episode, you're going to learn how to overcome your shame stories and build a positive self-identity. You're going to learn how to embrace authentic appreciation as a tool for building meaningful relationships. And you're going to hear an individual's story who has truly gone through the roller coaster of life. Everything from starting a business to achieving massive highs to experiencing the roller coaster of interpersonal relationship conflict to now being in a position where he's so connected to his mission, his path, and he's showing up fully in the world for the people he loves. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And amongst many more things, um, I hope you guys just understand and truly feel how much we appreciate you and your listenership means the world for us. And I'm excited to be kicking off this second season of Stay Grounded uh, with our first new guest, Mr. Andrew Horn. Enjoy. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. I love the idea that we don't have anywhere to go. You know, it's it's interesting. Like, I think 
that concept really removes the pressure of needing to like make something happen or to get to an end zone or to have any type of agenda be met. And I'm finding that that actually leads to way more fun and intimacy and just connection. And it's been a long road of me unraveling any rule sets I've had around it being the opposite. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, a fun frame to think about as it's related to that. And we covered it a little bit on our men's retreat this past weekend. Yeah. Um, but it's this idea that is within flow state research. They're called flow triggers. It's these things that we can focus on or do that make it easier to cultivate flow states. And one of those flow triggers is to have a, a clear goal, but loosely held. And so it's like the idea that like, it's fine to like have something thematically. It's like, oh, I know that my audience might find this interesting, but then to realize that in the moment, the most powerful thing we can do is just to be in the process. And then also, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the founder of Flow State Research, in his book, he has this passage and it says, if someone had a desire to cultivate more flow in their lives, and for people who aren't familiar with the term, flow is essentially just the peak state of human performance where you're totally absorbed in what you're doing. Time flies by, you find effortless energy and excitement to do the thing in front of you. He said, for someone who wants to cultivate more flow in their lives, the number one thing that they could do would be to develop an autotelic personality. And autotelic is one of my favorite words. And auto I have no idea what it means. <laughs> exactly. So it's, I, I only learned this word probably three years ago. It's um, autotelic is something that is done for its own sake. So autotelic is something that is done for its own sake. It means that we are doing something because the thing itself is valuable in and of itself, mm. not just for the outcome. And it's the idea that when I can engage this conversation as why I'm here versus having done a really great podcast and getting some sort of introduction or growing my following, like if I'm focused on the outcome, which in a relational context, we often are, we go into conversations with the idea that we wanna be liked, with the idea that we need someone to say yes to us on an important project or an investment. And so we're so focused on these outcomes, which then induce anxiety and tension and resistance. But if we can actually just come into conversation and relational context with the idea of how do I make the process or the conversation itself rewarding, then we find so much more ease and enjoyment out of conversation and the outcomes tend to flow with much less effort and strain. And so the simple thing that you did really well was just to remind me, which I even felt, you know, an air of lightness come over me when you said that, which is like, let us remember, like, let this be, you know, for the highest good of ourselves and our listeners and remind ourselves that we don't have anywhere that we need to get to. How do you teach or inspire um, the path to finding the process rewarding? Yeah, it's, it's very simple for me. I, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about it and I call it social flow. And it's this process I've synthesized about how to create flow states with people. And so like, even right now, we could do it together. Let's so, do it. Yeah, very simply. It's um, the reason that we feel so much tension, resistance, and social anxiety fundamentally is because we are focused on external forces that we don't control. And those external forces, I think of them as the rope. You have your 
uh, rejection. People aren't going to like us. You have your outcomes. We're not going to be able to do the thing that we need to do. And perception. We're worried about how people are perceiving us. So all of these things, fundamentally, we don't control. We control what we do, but how the external world responds to us, we don't control that. And it's natural for our mind to focus on these externalities. Social anxiety fundamentally is a biological defense mechanism for survival. Because when we existed in tribal communities thousands of years ago, if we were ostracized by our group and we were kicked out, we were going to miss the hunt, we were going to miss the meal, we were going to die. Yeah. And so the desire to be liked is fundamentally this human defense mechanism for survival. So we can have some empathy for it. What we start to realize as we get older is that focusing on these externalities can be really draining and lead to like a lot of really undesirable feelings in our bodies and and looping limiting thoughts in our mind and so if all of those feelings that we don't want happen we focus on the externalities we create social flow by focusing on internal motivation so internal motivation what do i control in this conversation i'll give you a practical example so in this conversation with you here are four things that i control and we can remember this in any conversation with the acronym i can and I can is intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, mm. and now for presence. And so before any important conversation that you have, and, and I just did this even before I saw you, um, give yourself 60 seconds to check in and ground into this internal motivation to be there and see how you feel. And so even right now, um, I, I'm going to have invite you to do it instead of me do it. And we'll see what okay. you come up with, okay? Okay. So I is intentionality. There are four questions, and it is... How do you want to be? So in this conversation with me, give me three desired ways of being. How do you want to be? I want to be present. Present. Engaged and curious. Present. Engaged. Curious. P-E-C. So you want to be peck. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like a funny little mnemonic device. It's like, so now you're grounded into this is how I want to be. And there's this great idea about the thermometer versus the thermostat. Yeah. Socially. Right? It's mm-hmm. like, do you want to be the thermometer that's just reacting to what the temperature, or do you want to be the thermostat where you're setting the temperature? And by simply setting our intentionality, becoming clear to here's how I want to be, we make it easier to cultivate and express that energy into a room, into our dialogue. And so that's intentionality. That's our first question. Uh, the second is curiosity. And curiosity is asking ourselves, what do I want to know? And if you look at the term self-consciousness, what is that? It's a hyper-awareness of self. Yeah. I'm thinking about me. So what's the antidote to thinking about me so much? It's actually thinking about who I'm with and what I want to know. So what do you want to know? And if you're just to answer that, what are like three questions that come to mind? Like what you most want to know about me? I want to know what... Well... <laughs> A lot. Deep. I got some, well, I got some deep <laughs> ones, but let them rip. I, I'm, we'll come back to all. Well, of I'm so curious about like, what do you believe is in your soul, and and what do you believe expresses through your soul, and how does that manifest into the things you do, the way you relate? I'm really curious to know your soul. Hmm. Um, I'm really curious to understand how your life tapestry has led you to this point of 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 being able to relate in the way that you do Mm. um and i just really want to get to know you man i just (laughs) like i i just i i love being around you like you're such a good vibrant 
um, inspiring human that I just, I feel very lucky yeah. that I get to spend time with. So like, I, I feel just the, th I mean, any set of questions that I get to any, 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 anything I get to learn about you is just yeah. really fun for me. Yeah. So. And so here's the big difference is someone once asked me to give a workshop on asking great questions. And I said, I, I'm not going to give you a workshop on asking great questions. I will teach a workshop about how to tap into your curiosity, because to me, a great question is just the words that do your curiosity justice. Mm -hmm. And when we are fundamentally tapped into our curiosity, not only is it electric and captivating for the people that, that you're with, because when someone asks you a question and they genuinely want the answer, it makes you lean in. You can feel that. People feel safer. They trust that the question you're totally. asking is earnest and their response will echo that, that honesty. And so that's why tapping into that curiosity is so captivating for other people. And then fundamentally, our curiosity is just our, our primary mechanism to learn and understand the world. The more that we hone our curiosity and clarity of what it is that we want to understand, the more effectively we're able to allocate our energy and, and shift behavior. So that's curiosity. So now you're setting the temperature of the room, you're shifting self-consciousness into other consciousness, and then we just come into authenticity. And authenticity is, what do I want to share? Mm. And some of the mastery of this is, what's real for me? It's just acknowledging that whatever we're feeling whatever's real for us. It's taking our curiosity that we just talked about in the external world and perhaps pointing that internally on ourselves. And for a lot of people, especially the 60% of people that identify as shy or having social anxiety, so often we convince ourselves that we have to be some certain way to connect, to belong, to fit in, to be liked. And this pressure that we put on ourselves to be someone reminds us that if we're just fundamentally tapped into what's real for us, what's mm. genuinely exciting, reminding ourselves that we don't have to make anything up, that there is a vast array of real content in our internal experience that is ripe to share. And that when we can just connect with that a little more deeply, we remind ourselves of that, that we don't need to make anything up. That if I just point my curiosity internally and I ask myself, what am I excited about? What am I challenging about? What am I focused on right now? What am I learning? What do I need? When I have clarity about what's happening in my internal experience and I just commit to sharing that, again, the one of the foundational ingredient, ingredients of meaningful relationship is just trust. And it sounds simple, but the easiest way to build trust is to tell the truth. Well, what's interesting about that is it's even realizing for me, like more than trust with other, it's actually trust with myself. Yeah. Like, it's like building the trust that like, if I share what's true, yeah, like I've got me, like it mattered. Like that was the big shift for me over the years of going from like trying to say what I needed to say to make the other person happy to yeah. like honoring myself deeply enough to where like, it's like, no, like what's true for me is actually what needs to be said. Sure. Because that's how much I love myself and loving myself is trusting myself. And it was like a really interesting shift for me when that when that really landed one of my favorite frames to anchor that even more deeply into my behavior with people is that my goal is not to be liked by everyone my goal is to like myself with everyone mm. my goal is not to be liked by everyone my goal is to like myself with everyone and Beautiful. fundamentally can i like myself if I'm not telling the truth, 
Can I like myself if I am performing, if I'm withholding? And the answer is no, I can't. So let me ask you this, like there's this, you know, speaking your truth just seems to be really like a popular concept these days. Yeah. But when does discernment come into speaking your truth? Because like, I think I struggle with that sometimes where like, I know there's something in me that I want to share, but then I don't know if it's something I'm sharing so that I can relieve myself of a, of a, of a burden or if it's something that's actually going to create more connection. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts around like discernment and how that plays into speaking truth. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really important. I think that a lot of the work that that I do in the realm of of masculinity and men's work is really around tapping men more deeply into their felt emotional experience. And what can happen when we tap into our emotional experiences, there's so much that it's alive there. And we want to liberate this new, authentic, transparent way of communicating. What can lead to is a lot of people just kind of exploding like being the fire hose of emotion of just like yeah. letting it all rip without any sort of consideration for other people's availability for the purpose yeah. of why they're sharing that and so the fundamental frame that i always bring into play here is what i call conversational purpose and it is having a why behind it and so authenticity for its own sake is not necessarily a virtue to me it's just being authentic for the sake of being authentic. I don't know that it's actually a virtue because someone can have judgment or criticism or shame that they want to share with other people and that's authentic to them. I don't necessarily think that that's valuable relationally. And so I think that the big differentiator and how I, I try to relate to discernment, which is again, a, a subjective term. So it's like, here's how I approach it, where I think we can actually apply this to our thoughts and our feelings and discern what we want to share is what is my conversational purpose and simply asking ourselves that question why do i want to share this going a little deeper it's like do i think this person is available for this what can i do to help them be more available for this right we talked about the context not just the content of what we're sharing so if our authenticity if our thoughts and our feelings are the content I think that discernment is also thinking about the context, which is saying, it's like, hey, I'm feeling this thing. I've been thinking about it for several days. Do I wanna to talk to this person at a party where other people are around and they haven't had any time to think about it themselves? Or can I set the context more intentionally and say like, hey, I've been feeling some things and I'd love to share with you. Yeah. And let me know if you have like an hour to sit down and we can have a conversation. If it's for someone who you're sharing a lot of emotions and maybe that hasn't been a uh, foundational value uh, or characteristic of your relationship, you know, you're talking to a parent or someone like that, I oftentimes encourage my clients and men to write a note out with what they're feeling and what they'd like to share so that the person who's receiving some of their big truth has time to respond in their own time, to process. Whereas, you know, a lot of times what can happen is that if we're just being met with a lot of emotion or honesty from someone and we feel pressure to respond right away, we put people into a react versus respond mode. And so I would look at those, those items of conversational purpose, asking ourselves, why am I sharing this? Like, what is the reason? What do I, what do I need from this person? What do I hope this does for the relationship? Do I want to create space for this person to be able to share as well? And also, how can I create space where they're most available to receive this? 
that those are two really important aspects of discernment. What I'm just appreciating a lot about you is like, have you always had this level of empathy for like others and like the way that they would experience something? Is this something that's natural to you or is this like a, a muscle that you've also developed over the years? Because I'm really admiring actually just how thoughtful you are about another's experience and the way that they might receive something, the way they might digest something, the way they're processing. I think it's really beautiful. And I think it's something that a lot of us can benefit from. It's, it's a great question. And I think what it brings me to is why I relate to this work, relational dynamics, relational leadership, emotional mastery, you name it. I relate to it as a, a calling and not just uh, something that I feel a great sense of purpose within. And the distinction for me is that purpose is a commitment to the service of something greater than the self. So purpose, the commitment to serving something greater than the self, that can be a cause, a, a community, a creative pursuit, you name it. But I think that a calling takes it a layer further and a calling integrates your unique lived experience as crucial for setting you up to serve something greater than the self. Mm -hmm. It's when you're looking at, I have experienced this thing. This was my lived experience. And a lot of times the challenge that you have experienced has uniquely set you up to serve a community. And I feel that that's true for me because if I look at, whereas now I, I feel very confident getting up in front of a room of just about any size or you know jumping into the unknown at a men's retreat. But also when I was, 12 and 13 years old, I was deathly terrified to talk to anyone I didn't know on the playground. I felt incredibly lonely through high school and college. I found so much validation in uh, women and hookups and being cool and seeking to be popular. And so I had this massive validation complex. And I think that it was for me, I had such a codependent streak. It's I had so much difficulty regulating my own nervous system and feeling like I was enough unless other people were directly telling me or showing me that I was. And so it was that line of codependency and reliance on external validation that I think has given me so much empathy and compassion for people who also experience this. And I think, again, if you just look by the numbers, it's like 60% of people say that they oftentimes deal with social anxiety or shyness which is fundamentally the the inhibition of action, the fear of negative judgment. And so why I think this is such a calling is because I can relate to people who don't naturally come to the relational aspects of life with a great deal of confidence or clarity about who they are, how they, can, how they wanna be. And so I think so much of my empathy comes from my lived experience because I sucked at this. You know, I would, I, I loved public speaking. My mom is a hall of fame public speaker, but before every talk, I would be so agitated and snappy at people and I would get cotton mouth on the stage. And I loved having done this thing, but the process of it was so nerve wracking because of if I didn't do this thing and if people didn't like it, I was not enough. And I had all these beliefs that made it so stressful for me. And so what's so fun about it is that now as a teacher, I feel like fundamentally, I just get to share what has worked. You know, like the, the pressure on me here is I don't, again, I don't need to make anything up. I really get to talk about my lived experience and like here were these moments that unlocked something in me. And then as a teacher, I get to share that more and more. I see how they impact other people. 
and it's how I get to share. It's how I get to teach. This is uh, teed me up perfectly for the question I wanted to ask you because I think you have your lived experience. Yeah, and you have what, what we call you calling a calling, something of a pull. What role do you think your soul or that that underlying sort of energy that flows through you plays? Like, what what role do you think that is playing on the dynamic that you're experiencing today? Can I ask you a question first, please? What is a soul? Can I ask you a follow-up question? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> what comes through you? Yeah. I actually want to, before I define my definition, I want to hear yours. Yeah. Um, I was invited to officiate a close friend's wedding of mine in Hawaii several years ago. And uh, he made me read a book called Journey of Souls. And it's all of these accounts of people who've had near-death experiences and have experienced very similar things traveling to this world of souls and explaining the soul's path basically of kind of being reincarnated and gaining more wisdom until it reaches some kind of point like of enlightenment and it was interesting when i told him i i had to be really honest and i said like i don't know that i believe in a soul and something that I'm exploring at this stage of my life is that a big part of my spirituality is in, I don't want to call it atheism, but is in a lack, the, it's in the absence of mystical thinking or needing to validate that which exists outside the confines of reality because like reality as we know it and what we don't understand about it to me is enough miss i feel like it unlocks a deeper level of appreciation for what we can prove we're all kind of experiencing together and so when i think about a soul what comes up for me is that i don't know that i have a soul but when i hear the word soul what that evokes in me is this correlation with my authentic self bingo yeah that's so, what it is for me too yeah so that my my soul is this is my authentic self it is that which is really directed and understand itself through an internal lens my relationship with myself my beliefs about who i am what the world is my values right it's um so it really is that that authentic self. And so communicating and relating from the soul is just allowing that most authentic version of myself to be witnessed and to share that with the world. Yeah, it's the original blueprint before all the layers got totally put on you and yeah. you remove all those layers, what comes through. And I think that's why for me, feeling seen has always been like my, I feel like it's my sixth love language. Yeah. Like in, in a lot of ways, because when I can feel seen and help others feel seen, it's like, you're actually speaking to that authentic self in a lot of ways. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the way that you're even relating like the empathy and, 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 and a lot of that comes back to helping people feel seen and understood and cared for and held and respected in a lot of ways. And how does the practices that you use with other people come back to the relationship you have with yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. How do the relationships I have with other people impact my own relationship with self? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that 
it's a great question and i love the way it's even making my mind circle right now it's um my experience with other people was the place where i self-abandoned most growing up because i had this pattern of people pleasing and codependency needing to be validated to feel like i was enough it was this place where i was so willing to abandon my own values and my own truth because i prioritized that validation more than kind of this like self-honoring yeah you know of being connected to that authentic self and um so now i think really what i have been able to instill in myself that has been so crucial is this understanding of my own authenticity communicating from this soul place like expressing the authentic self is not about me but i have tied it to service of others in that it was this place where i would so often abandon and perform to achieve external outcomes now fundamentally what i'm more focused on is that you have a soul your authentic self alex has his soul his authentic self and i want you to feel safe to let that rip mm. to be enough to be witnessed without judgment and to know that you're safe to be that it's almost like you're creating the world you want for yourself exactly no it's it's this self-fulfilling cycle like this yeah. is and i get goosebumps when i say it where what i really mean is that my role as teacher now is just to practice that which is most important to me yeah which are these principles of internal motivation right of conscious communication it's that to share it with other people i just need to practice it it's being completely honest and transparent with my experience moment to moment because if i want you to feel safe to be yourself i believe that foundationally the most effective and ethical way to do that is to show you that i'm doing that is to be that way is to be intentional is to be authentic with all of my experiences to be curious and in trusting that internal motivation i believe that i'm creating space for you to do the exact same thing was there a period where you actually struggled doing that because like i'm, oh, yeah. I'm curious <laughs> totally. what the chrysalis because it's it's I, I see the finished product right now and it's yeah. brilliant Thanks and so. i'm curious like what were the initial sort of crunchier experiences maybe even some of the the learnings that you had along the way that um because I'm, I'm thinking about myself right now like you know there's speaking my truth and being honest and <laughs> valuing my needs over the needs of another is a learning process yeah for sure like in a lot of ways for me and i think it's been a very crunchy journey for myself and so i'm curious if you've had any experiences you can I share i <laughs> sure do and it's so funny because you're teaming me up because right before we started we were talking about yannick silver we were talking about yannick and Hi, yannick, and truly yannick silver incredible author mentor to many uh you know founder of one of the most brilliant yeah. internet advertising conferences in the history of the industry and so much other cool events um who i would really quantify as one of my first mentors in business and Me i think too. you would say the same yeah. um and the funny story and i get goosebumps again talking about it is because i almost never met yannick silver because of exactly what we're talking about because of my own social anxiety and because of my own inability to operate in what i would call a high achieving room of people so my 
first organization or company was a, a nonprofit called Dreams for Kids DC. Uh, I started it right after graduating from Virginia Tech. And basically what we did is created this cool model where we would partner with pro sports teams and utilize their resources, their players, their press contacts, their fields uh, to provide kids with disabilities opportunities to experience new sports. It's everything from hockey with the Capitals to basketball with the Wizards and John Wall to baseball with the Nationals, like on the field, very cool events. Um, and I had been doing this in my free time for about a year and a half. And so I had a job as an executive recruiter and um, I met some guys who started this thing called the Summit Series. And this was one of their first events. And, you know, Forbes has called it Davos for the millennial generation and uh, they just got off the cruise with Richard Branson and 3,000 incredible entrepreneurs and artists and philanthropists. And so it's an amazing community. I met one of the founders. He heard about what I was doing very early on, and uh, he was gracious enough to invite me as his guest. And so I will always remember the first day of that conference. It's like I'm at this place where I can't pay myself a salary at this nonprofit that I'm running, right? I'm still working eight to six and then working on this on my free time. And so to go and be at this conference in 2010, I remember it was at the JW Marriott, but these were people who could literally make or break my career as an entrepreneur, right? There are people there who could give me a donation and allow me to quit my job and go full time. There are people there who know all sorts of movers and shakers who can make things happen, right? And so there's a lot of pressure to be good to be on there. And so I remember talking about like all of our unique value propositions and our operational efficiencies and why we're a great organization so that just in case, like I can actually kind of show up for it. And I remember getting a taxi, Uber didn't exist at this time. And so I'm in a taxi and I was looking at my phone, I was looking at some of the attendees and I remember just starting to sweat profusely in the back of this cab. And I was like, and at the time I'm 24. And so I like put my phone down, I open the window, I like have the guy turn on the AC. I'm just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> it's like, you need to chill out, like chill out. I was like grossly, profusely sweating. Like, you know, and at the time I have like a jacket on and jeans and probably boat shoes uh, for those of you who can relate with that era of your life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was wearing like a 42, like a 42 size jacket. It was definitely a 38 for sure. Um, oh, man. And I get to the event and I'm still sweating. And so I go into the bathroom and I'm like throwing water on my face and I'm wiping it with a paper towel. And I'm like, man, chill out. Like, what is going on with you? But I cannot get out of my head. And the voice in my head is saying, you don't belong here. Like, you're not smart enough. People aren't gonna find you interesting or successful. And I walk out of that room and I was gonna go like outside and just like catch my breath because I didn't want anyone to see me. And right as I was walking out of the room, one of the founders of Summit, his name is Jeff, Jeff Rosenthal, um, he kind of hollers at me and he was like, hey, there's a session going on right now that's a nonprofit roundtable or pitch off where philanthropists and foundations have an opportunity to meet nonprofit executive directors and CEOs who are at the event. And he was like, you should come to this. You're going to get to pitch Dreams for Kids to all these people. Which I'm like, great, let's do it. But in my head, I'm like, this is the worst fucking thing I could possibly imagine happening in this moment. I'm going from being in my head and sweating to now I'm going to have an hour to pitch back to back like 30 different donors oh and God. foundations. 
And so now it just amplifies this internal voice. And it's like, you don't know what you're doing. What the fuck is happening? And I remember getting into this room and you have like one table on the inside and you have the chairs on the outside. And Jeff kind of introduces what the intention is of being there. And we start and basically I'll, I remember like I got into my first pitch and I started telling this person what Dreams for Kids was. And then I just went blank. I was like looking at this person. I had been practicing for not only the past year and a half running this organization, but the last day and a half, like practicing this pitch. And I had every word like memorize, but I just went blank and I just started mumbling. And I got to the end of my three minutes and I was like, what did you even just say to this person? They didn't give me a card. And so I went to the next person. And I remember just struggling through this experience. And I got some business cards and some I had done okay for. But again, I came out of there and I was like, you don't belong here. And I literally left the JW Marriott and I got in a taxi and I went back to my house. I left the event. And so now I'm back at my house and like now not only did I fail my objective, this huge opportunity, but now I'm, you know, we all know that cycle of we don't do something or we start feeling bad and then we start shaming ourselves for feeling mm. bad, right? <laughs> and so now I'm in that cycle where I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is this huge opportunity. You've got all these families, you've got all these kids that you're serving. Like, this is bigger than you. And like, here you are in your apartment. And so I just remember sitting there for several hours and I, I remember just thinking about the families and the kids that I was so deeply committed to. I think that this is the power of, of service and purpose. And like, I really did recognize in that moment that it was bigger than me, that like there was some, there was people that could really benefit. I knew the impact of what we were doing. And I was like, you need to get over your own bullshit and get back there. And so I went back to the event and that night they were having a cocktail hour and you know again i'm kind of hanging up on the top balcony of summit like looking down at everybody and i see this guy standing there with a the baseball cap on and we start talking and uh, he had a washington capitals hat on and i was like oh like are you a capitals fan and he was like yeah i am and i was like oh cool you should come to our event in a couple of weeks we're doing a, a clinic with the washington capitals and like 90 kids and he's like yeah i'll bring my son and that guy ended up being yannick yeah, silver, silver. And so, and Yannick Silver at that trip, Yannick used to run these incredible adventure tourism uh, trips for entrepreneurs and, yeah. and business people. And one of those was going great white or going diving with great white sharks in South Africa. And he donated a spot on one of those trips uh, to Dreams for Kids in the auction happening at the event. And we ended up getting $15,000. And that $15,000 was the first significant donation that allowed me to quit my job to go full-time at dreams for kids and that was the last time i ever worked for anybody i've been an entrepreneur ever since and i look back at that and again it's i almost missed that opportunity i had left that conference because i was so in my head i was so in my own stories about why i wasn't enough why i wasn't smart enough why people weren't going to like me or want to talk to me and so yeah it absolutely sucked and i think it was after the event where i was able to so viscerally see what was at stake if I allowed my own bullshit to get in my way that like that categorically wouldn't have happened. If I wasn't there, I wouldn't have met him. Right. And so it was really after that moment that I committed myself to exploring and studying interpersonal dynamics and effective communication and reading books, like how to win friends and influence people and 
influence and Robert Cialdini and, and crucial conversations and all these things, because I was like, I need to be good at this thing. I need to be able to communicate. I want to feel good around these types of people. And over the next couple of years, I got really good at these techniques and tools. And I started talking about them and I was giving TEDx talks in my early twenties. And the reality was that while I was achieving on the surface and giving these talks and teaching people about communication is that my internal experience was still on fire. There's mm. so much dissonance because all those stories about how people perceive me, about not being good enough, about not being smart enough, not being able to be my, my authentic self with people was still there. And so um, I basically had developed an arsenal of tools and techniques to effectively package myself to achieve my desired outcome. But what I fundamentally did not have was a sense of self-trust and safety to simply be who I was, mm. to be that authentic self. And everything changed in 2016 when I got invited to this uh, event. It was a training in something called Gestalt Communication for Leaders. and someone saw me at a, a CEO summit at the Conscious Capitalism Summit and they said, I like the way that you're talking to people. Have you ever heard of this modality called Gestalt? And I said, no, I never have. And he said, I'm a benefactor of this modality. I think it's really powerful for uh, relational leadership and kind of like healing the world. And I want you to go as my guest. And I was like, okay, great. I'll go and check it out. And so I end up in this dingy classroom in the suburbs of Cleveland and I'm in there and I remember one of the facilitators starts the event and he says like, I just want you to consider these three invitations this weekend. I want you to welcome in your thoughts and feelings as real and valid and deserving of a voice. I'm gonna invite you to engage your curiosity to try and understand yourself and the people who are here at the deepest level possible and to be fully present. Mm. And if you just stay here, you follow your curiosity, and you actually share what you're thinking and feeling, I promise you'll have a meaningful experience. And that was it. And so I was like, okay, I'm willing to try that on. And one of the first experiences that I had there was uh, a movement exercise where we all stood up and we started walking around the classroom. And they say, stop, go and stand toe to toe with the person closest to you. And there was a, an older man who was right next to me. So we went and we stand toe to toe and so our noses are right here. And they say, say exactly what you're thinking. And I said, this feels homoerotic and I feel like this inhibits my ability to get close with other men in my life. And I get goosebumps when I say it because the reality of that situation is that that was exactly what I was thinking in that moment. But I never would have said it. And the man across from me hits his chest and he goes like that. And that means like, I feel that way too. And I was like, wow, not only did saying that thing that was real not lead to me being ostracized or pushed away, it actually made me feel closer for this man. It gave this person an opportunity to say something true for him as well. And then we go to our first coffee break and there's this woman there who I had been really trying to connect with. And she's a successful media entrepreneur but we've all had that experience of trying to connect with someone, asking them questions, and they're just giving you the, the one word answer. They're looking at the door and it feels like shit. And you're like, man, this person doesn't care about me. They don't want to talk to me. And we get in our own head and our own loop of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not cool enough. So I was in that loop with this woman. 
So I'm out at the coffee maker and I see this woman walking out to me as well. Her name is Megan. And uh, she's given me her permission to tell the story. And she comes up to me. And I remember thinking to myself, engage your thoughts and feelings is real and valid. And I was like, what am I thinking and feeling right now? I was like, this person doesn't want to talk to me. And I feel shitty about it. And I don't want to do it anymore. And so I look at Megan. I was like, hey, Megan, I just wanted to share something if you're open to it. And she's like, okay. And I said, I want to let you know that I feel like I've been trying to make uh, inroads with you and like asking you questions. And I, I love the company you built. And, and I just haven't felt you reciprocating that. And it's all good. I just want to let you know that I was going to stop. And if you ever want to drop in, I'm available for it. And just let me know. And there was about a three count. And she looked at me and she just started bawling. And I was like, oh my God. This, <laughs> this, this, I was like, it's but, but I was like, this authenticity <laughs> thing is bullshit. Like, what did I just do here? And what happens is she immediately opens up and she says, Andrew, this is the last place on the planet that I want to be. Okay. She said, my co-founder is suing me. She says, my boyfriend is breaking up with me. She said, I don't want to be here. And it was in that moment. And again, I get goosebumps of these like, foundational transformational moments in my life it was as though i saw the lines of the matrix what i realized was that not only was i not relating with megan i was relating with my story about her that was completely false but that i was doing that in every single relationship in my life that i was not relating or connected to them i was connected to my story of them my story of how they perceive me, my story about how available they are to receive my truth, my story about how much they they like me, how much they respect me. And what I realized is that like in the absence of those stories, like not only did I feel a sense of liberation in sharing that, but again, the most powerful thing was seeing Megan go back into that room after the coffee break and she says, "I have something to share." Guys, I don't want to be here. And she shared everything that was going on. And the next thing that happened is three other people in the classroom say like, I don't really get this either. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be here. And so it was in that moment that I truly saw that it wasn't just about me being honest, that everyone is holding on to so much. And they fundamentally don't feel like they have space to share that when the exact opposite is true, that when we consciously and with discernment share what is true for us it is the most captivating thing we could possibly ever share to influence people to lead effectively but also to build meaningful connection in the world yeah so dude thank you for weaving that story together i love i i just it almost feels like coming back to the purpose conversation like you've had so many spontaneous synchronistic sort of experiences that have kind of that you said yes to and i'm wondering like what role does saying yes versus no play in this dance with you like it's it feels like you you, you live a very led life like i don't know where you're being led by yeah but it feels very led hmm. so like what, what do you think is 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 driving your decisions and like where do you make your decisions from yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I have a very clear answer. And I oftentimes frame it through this lens because I think that we all have an effective 
frame for how to make decisions and to align our behavior in our lives, but it actually exists in the corporate or business context and not in our personal lives. And so if you look at any sort of company that looks to their employees and wants to show them, here's who we are, here's how we behave, how we honor our mission, what is that company going to do? We're going to set up values, right? And why do we do values? It's because values is a clear articulation of who we are to be ourselves. Yeah. And for some reason, values are this fundamental part of our identity. And most people have really never done that activity or they've done it once and they haven't revisited it. Um, but so for me, where so much of my, my action, my behavior is driven is from this deep clarity of my own values, mm. of who I am through the lens of my values and what is most important to me. And just to contextualize that even further about why values and why identity is so important, um, there's this really powerful concept of the identity model of change. And the identity model of change basically posits that um, oftentimes, if you look at all personal development, fundamentally what it is, is behavior change. We're trying to change our behavior in ways that are advantageous to our success, our survival, our connection, like anything you name it. So personal development is behavior change. When we look at behavior change, so often we're focused on what I'll call the, the top two layers of the pyramid, the strategic and the tactical. And this is basically your strategic is what am I going to do? What are the most important actions that I can take to accomplish my goal, um, to build a new habit? And then you have the tactical, which is how do I do it? So it's like, I know what I'm going to do. That's strategic. How I'm going to do it, uh, that is the tactical. An example of this is I want to put on 15 pounds of muscle. Okay. If I want to put on 15 pounds of muscle, I need to eat these specific foods. Um, I need to have these supplements. I need to work out this many times a week. Great. Now you have your strategy down. Your tactical is, okay, I need to eat at these specific times. I need to actually watch these specific motions when I'm lifting weights so that I don't injure myself. Like that's the tactical, right? And those are really important ingredients in behavior change, building new habits. But the most important is neither of those. It is fundamentally our identity. And our identity is who we think we are. It is our sense of self. And William James, the, the father of modern psychology, had this great quote, and he said, at the end of the day, people will do the things that align with who they think they are. Mm. At the end of the day, people will do the things that align with who they think they are. And so if we have a story that we are unconscious or conscious of, that I'm a scrawny individual, that I am weak, that I am lazy, then our behavior ultimately will default to that identity. It will make it true because this weird way, our mind wants certainty. If we have these stories about ourselves, that even if they're bad or challenging, like our brain wants them to be true because it likes certainty. It likes knowing what, how the world works. And we could dive deeper on that frame. But when we actually look at our identity of so many of, of the stories and beliefs we have about ourselves are unconscious and the values are how we start to consciously create our identity. Because if we're able to find the values that are being expressed in building muscle and being healthy, 
when we can align that identity with the behavior that we're trying to cultivate, it becomes much easier to cultivate those behaviors in a sustainable capacity. I'm really curious on, you know, because shame is is something that, you know, we talked a lot about this last weekend. And like when it comes to kind of aligning your identity, if shame is present yeah. in our lives, how does that play into aligning to what's true? Yeah, it's a great question. And I just took a big breath. Um, so fundamentally, shame is the belief that we are flawed, right? It's the belief that we are flawed. It's not necessarily just that we have done something bad, but that we are bad. We are not enough. We are unlovable. We are incapable of financial success, of professional success. Um, and to relate back to identity as this fundamental driver of our behavior, if you think about what we just talked about, shame as I am not enough, not lovable, that becomes our identity. That's who we are. And so as much as we can go and see the therapist and do the things in our life that we think are going to cultivate happiness and health and connection, if we have that identity and if we have those beliefs that are there, those shame stories, as I call them, those are going to express themselves subconsciously and subversively into our life. Mm. It's going to lead to destructive behaviors, to distraction, and all sorts of things that hold us back and limit us from really unlocking the full freedom and joy of our lives. And the first step in starting to shift that identity is to simply identify what stories are there. And I believe that there is a really important moment that happens in personal transformation where someone has to say enough. Mm. They have to look at the shame stories and realize that it's not a matter of just doing the right things and knowing the right tactics in the moment, but that if you have a thought that has been in your mind for a long time, about why you're not enough, about why you're unlovable, about why you're not in partnership or you haven't found the one, about why you're always having trouble with money. What is it that you say about yourself? I am what? And that moment of saying enough, I am no longer going to live with this, is just facing it, is writing down, of making that internal dialogue something that you've externally articulated, of making an audit of your shame stories and saying, here are all the things that I say about myself. Looking back at how long have those been here? Where did they first originate? Where can I first remember these? Mm. And so that's the first part of enoughness is actually just saying, it's like, I am no longer going to tolerate you. I'm going to face you. And then one of the most powerful things that we can do to start to, I don't want to say eradicate, but to integrate shame is i think it's esther perel says shame dies in sunlight is to find these things that we think about ourselves these really challenging truths that we hold to be mm. true about us it's so much of the power they hold over us is because we are unwilling to share them and it is because we are unwilling to share them that they have so much weight 
because we think that if someone else knew that we felt this way about ourselves, then it would be true. When the exact opposite is oftentimes true, that when we can find a safe space, a receptive audience to receive that, like what happens we realize is that, oh, it's just a thought. It's just a thought that I have about myself. And you know what? Everyone else has shame too. And we we talked about the shame mantra while we were there. Love for you to <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is, and even if if you're listening to this, to just take a moment to even consider this for your own shame story, because again, we we all have one. And the the way I think of a shame story is what is something that you say to yourself about yourself that holds you back? Could be like I'm unlovable. I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable of financial success. I'm never going to find the right person. Whatever that is, just find that story. I am X. And if you just allow yourself to experience that and engage it and just say, okay, you're here, face it for a moment. And then again, just observe it as a witness and consider this. I feel shame. Everybody feels shame. Shame is a part of life. Can I look for the message in this, if there is one, and get back to living my life? <sighs> and it's this simple reminder that this shame that we all have is just that. It's a fundamental human experience, right? It is a survival instinct that we all have. It's by telling ourselves that we are not enough in some way our response is to try and be enough, is to counter that. It's a motivational force that just kills us and makes us kill other people, you know? And so once we're able to face that shame, to acknowledge it as this human experience, to find receptive audiences, to share it, because again, this comes down to authenticity of service, is when we're able to share that in receptive, loving, clinical settings where people are open to that, we oftentimes create space for them to do the same thing. Mm. And everyone has their shame. And by showing that we're safe to share that, that's not who we are. It's just a thought that has some sort of backwards purpose trying to drive us towards something that we want really ineffectively. We create space for other people to do it. And then we start to find on the other side of things, it's what are the empowering beliefs that I hold about myself? Because oftentimes the mind defaults to these limiting beliefs. I am not enough in whatever capacity that takes. But we also have empowering beliefs. And my favorite way to help people to connect with their empowering beliefs is, what do my best friends love about me? What do my best friends think I'm great at? And unless they've told you directly, which is awesome if they have, but also what I often find with people is that you will have assumptions. You'll have assumptions about what people love about you, about what people think you're great at. And so these are, again, stories. The same way as I'm not enough is a story. I'm a amazing friend. That's a story. I just love this. Like, you know, one of the things I'm just really appreciating about you, dude, is like, like I'm, I'm appreciating how deep you've gone with yourself 
because I can even feel the with the conviction that you share this with. Like yeah. this is like you use this shit yourself. Totally. Your own message, your own path, your own medicine. And I think that's what makes this so great. Like you sharing about how you relate to shame and is is now empowering other people to relate to their shame in a way. And I think that's like you said, like shame, shame dies in sunlight. Yeah. And I think when we can just start to see ourselves as the medicine we start to see our our lives, our perspectives, our stories, even our shame stories, yeah, as medicine for others. It just creates this beautiful ripple of impact, and I just really appreciate you, dude. I <laughs> I, I I fucking love that we got to like jam. Just for everyone listening, like Andrew and I met maybe like three weeks ago, yeah, not much longer ago, and we we're like, let's do a podcast together. And then I happened to be in Austin, and now we're doing it in person, and. It's just been such a joy to to get to know you better, brother. And I'm really stoked about uh, just you as a being. Oh, I feel like you. I got all my questions answered um, at the beginning. What was the last thing? It was was it uh, I C A N for the now? And so for presence. Um, oh, did we not? We didn't get you with the we now. didn't get we didn't get the now. So it's um, now for presence, which is this idea that oftentimes when we are feeling. Uh, tension, anxiety, or resistance in a social setting. Um, it's because we are focused on an undesired future state, right? We're worried that someone's going to reject us. It's We're going to feel uncomfortable. Something's going to go wrong. And if we can just allow ourselves to come back into presence, like just looking in someone's eye or noticing our breath, like what we find is that like things are generally okay right here. Yeah. It's that the fear is a story about what the future holds. And again, it's natural for the mind to do that, but it's oftentimes counterproductive to feeling good, speaking powerfully and connecting with the people that are right in front of you. And so um, the last piece of the social flow questions is just how can I be more present? Mm. And again, the simple ways that we can do that is like by looking at someone's eyes, you will feel more connected, albeit uncomfortable sometimes, but you'll feel more connected to that person. It's listening to your own breath. It's allowing yourself to just take intentional breaths, whether that's through a box breath or just one slow intentional breath. You can only breathe into the present moment and you remind yourself of that by inviting yourself to listen to someone deeply. And simply by stating the intention that I'm going to listen deeply, you will be more present to hearing what someone has to say. One of my favorite things to tap people into presence is I'll say at the beginning of a conference when I give a talk, what would it look like if this was an event where you tried to remember every person's name that you meet? And if you come up short, let's not be hard on ourselves. But I'll also, the shame story to go away. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's not be hard on ourselves, yeah. but let's play a game. How many people's names can I remember that I meet? And what you find is that simple act of trying to remember people's name from the very get-go, what you're doing is you're focused on listening instead of what you have to say next. And there's a level of presence that's automatic in that. And so it's a game that I always play with myself because I say that when I'm fully present, I remember people's names. So good, dude. It's just when I'm not that I don't. That's so good, bro. Dude, I feel like I could go literally for hours with you, <laughs> but I want to be respectful of time. How can people find you? How can people learn more about what you're creating in the world? By the way, I just have to tell you a quick story about tribute. Yeah. Um, I got my, uh, my girlfriend a tribute a few years ago and it was like the one gift that literally blew her heart open into a million pieces. Amazing. It was like the most precious thing. And so 
I uh, I just I love everything you're up to. So I'd love for you to share what you've got going on. Yeah, totally. Well, I'll share some quick context about tribute and what it is. Um, I think that it's just another expression of this this mission that I have to. I think fundamentally, what I've set up is my life's purpose, which gives me a a lot of territory to play in. As I say that I'm here to create art that reminds me how I want to live, and to me, um, art is really just the intentional arrangements of objects and things to engage the senses. And so it's really just creating stuff. And so I create stuff that reminds me how I want to live. Like everything that I do is a, a reminder of some behavior, some action that can make life more beautiful in some way. And tribute is absolutely a piece of art that does that. Um, on my 27th birthday, I walked into my uh, tiny little apartment in Brooklyn and uh, I immediately saw 25 pairs of shoes in the ground. And I was like, what's going on? And then my girlfriend at the time, Mickey, she counts down from three. All my friends jump out of the closets and surprise birthday party. I was like, okay, fun. Halfway through the party, she gathers everyone in the living room. She puts down, uh, no, we didn't have a projector. We just had it. We had a projector. We didn't have a screen. So she puts her projector up against the wall and I was like, what's happening? She's like, don't worry about it. And she hits play. And what I would go on to find out is that she had reached out to 20 of my closest friends and family members and got them all to submit a one minute video telling me why they love me. And she had edited those into one montage. And I sat in the back of the room and the first person up was my dad, who I have a, a great relationship with. He just passed away about a month ago. And um, I know he loves me, but he doesn't say the words, I love you very often. And in that video, he said, I love you. Mm. And so in that moment, I started to get kind of teary-eyed. And then the next one is my mom. My mom's an incredible speaker and author. And um, I'd spent several years working with her on her business to really help it to sustain itself. And she talked about how it was some of the best years of her life to be able to share that and to feel so understood by her son and how much she loved me. And it was in that moment that I was like on the brink of tears. <laughs> I was like in front of all these people, I was on the brink. And then it was the third video. It was my friend, Matt. And Matt and I had really gone deep fast. And we had this deep brotherhood. But in his video, Matt says, I just want you to know you're my best friend. Mm. And I just lost it. <laughs> because <laughs> as, a, as an adult man, it's quite a special thing to get to the place where you say, you're my best friend. Yeah, you know, to articulate that's a vulnerable thing. What if someone doesn't feel Receive it, it, feel yeah. it back, or you name it? And uh, so I gave him a hug, and for the next twenty minutes, I I just bawled my eyes out at this experience, and I came out of it. And I remember I looked at everyone, and I was like, I feel like I just got my eulogy at twenty seven. I was like, that's a much better time to get a eulogy for sure. And I look at Mickey, and I was like, How'd you do this? And she was like, I. It actually kind of sucked. Like it took me a hundred hours to get everyone to get their videos in. I had to edit together an iMovie and you know all these different file types. And I walked in the other room and I was like, "This is a tribute video." First, first off, and I did a Google search and I was like, "Does this does this exist? Like, can you do this easily?" And there was nothing. No one was doing group video montages. So it was in that moment I I walked out of the room five minutes later and I was like, "I'm making this a company." Like this needs to be easier okay. for other people to do and to go even deeper there, because we've talked a lot about communication and relational leadership, but the lesson in there I think is so foundational and one of the most accessible for building meaningful connection 
And it is that sharing our appreciation with the people we care about is one of the safest and most effective way to add depth into our into our most meaningful relationships. And it is simply embracing this idea that if we have anything nice to say, say it all. It's that appreciation is a fundamental aspect of any meaningful relationship. And if we have appreciation inside of us, I don't think there's any reason to keep it inside. We often have stories about people not being able to receive it or they feel weird or whatever that is. But I just invite you to consider if the people who you want to have appreciation for shared their appreciation for you, how would it make you feel? And almost across the, the board, it's pretty yeah. dang good. And so we've now given more than 6 million tribute videos and so um, it's been quite a journey. But again, it was like, that was another pivotal moment for myself of just realizing that I think a lot of us put pressure on ourselves. Again, a human instinct to be liked by everybody, a lot of people. And what that really clarified for me is that I mattered in the lives of the people who mattered to me. And that was enough. Like I can have desire to cultivate influence and uh, recognition in the wider world. But I, I knew in that moment with certainty that when all is said and done and at the end of my life, what will have really mattered is that I mattered mm. to the people who mattered to me. And I felt that. And I wanted to make sure that every single one of those people in my life had that from me. And committing to that has been one of the greatest joys of my life. And again, one of the easiest because it's when it comes to our truth and our authenticity, like if you just want to boost somebody, just go boost them. Dude, I fucking <laughs> love who you are. <laughs> Thanks, like I man. really appreciate just the way you carry yourself, the way you, you really commit to the things and the people that matter most to you. And I can feel it. It's, it's, it's contagious. It's inc it's incredible. Um, so I'm just, like I said, I'm grateful that we get to be friends and I get to continue being on the spaceship alongside you, dude. Come back to Costa Rica. Yeah. We'll <laughs> That'd be fun. Like surfing. Get in the water day. together. Yeah. yeah. We got one last question for you, bro. Yeah. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? How do I stay grounded? Um, it's just an, it's a fun invitation because I don't know that I think about uh, how do I stay grounded? Is I it know. because you're just grounded now? No, it's 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 because <laughs> I actually, but I do have an answer. Like what what comes to mind for me? It's I stay grounded um, through my relationship with my emotions. Like I have a deep relationship and practice around feeling my feelings you know later tonight i'll be sitting in a circle with nine guys feeling my feelings i've been creating those groups for people and hosting them myself for seven years now and um for me i find that committing to that practice is one of real self leadership and like being grounded because it's it's ownership it's ownership of my own experience and when I am connected to my feelings, I find that I am fully here. And for me, that is grounded. Mm. It's like I'm not in my stories about the universe or what's going on. It's to be deeply in my emotional experience, to take ownership for it, that that's, that's grounded to me. And like really 
allowing myself to lead and to communicate and to act with that foundational awareness is how I stay grounded. I love it, dude. Brother, it's been a ride. Appreciate you. Everybody listening, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Andrew. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Stay Grounded. No matter where you're from or what you're going through, I hope it helps you remember just how incredible you are and have always been. If you're on a path of emotional healing or self-discovery and would like to learn how Liberate can support your journey, head to www.rajana.com forward slash liberate. That is L-I-B-E-R-8 to learn more about our current group programs and one-on-one offerings. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.